When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Heads of Studios in Dublin, welcome to Motherfuck Lore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Dara Crochet. I'm Clodagh McGinley. And you're all very welcome to today's episode. Clodagh, looking forward to any films coming out lately? Oh yeah, I heard there's a, you know, a really good spy thriller coming out actually. A spy thriller, I love spy thrillers. Yeah, no, it's by the infamous Michael Flatley, I believe. Michael Flatley? Mm-hmm. Would this be Blackbird? I think it could be. Starring Michael Flatley. Oh, yeah. Written by Michael Flatley. Oh, yeah. Directed by Michael Flatley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> produced by Michael Flatley. Apparently so. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, a lot of people recently were alarmed that Michael Flatley, a man who, you know, doesn't do things by halves, it has to be said. Oh, yeah. Has gone ahead and made a film that appears to be loosely based on Casablanca or something, a retired or retired spy who was running a, a fancy nightclub brought back into the game to do one last job of sorts and the tagline is some things are worth dying for oh jesus to be fair though like i think it's actually quite funny how he named a blackbird because blackbird is a traditional set dance in irish dancing so i'm convinced that's where it comes from the name for it there must be and i'm glad you brought that up <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing michael flatley whether you like him or not is a fairly massive figure in 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 Irish culture and uh, perceptions of Ireland and particularly how we see ourselves and how the world sees us because of his role in Irish dancing. And in order to discuss this and other things and how where Irish dancing fits into people's lives, I decided who better than to get our, our Claude in. Our Claude is the best Irish dancer in the Motherfucker team. Oh yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> like <laughs> whoever's second is so far back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, our Claude is a champion Irish dancer. Ah, no. Champion? Not champion? I mean, technically, but no. Yeah, <laughs> See, she's modest too. No. Oh, okay, but anyway, Cloda has been doing Irish dancing since she was a smallie, and she's going to tell us a little bit about um, the world behind the scenes and off the scenes of Irish dancing, what it, what it is, what it isn't, and because there's perceptions about it and misperceptions, but we're going to get to the bottom of it all, and we're going to go through some wonderful Irish language terminology too. We're at it. Woo! So, Claudia, when did you start Irish dancing? I started Irish dancing when I was 11, going on 12. So, I was actually old for a beginner. Okay. Most people start when they're about five or six, but I didn't start till I was 11 because there was a new Irish dancing teacher that came to my primary school and did classes after school and everything else. And I thought it would be a nice thing to do. 
and I had a couple of friends doing it, so I thought, why not? And yeah, fell in love. Absolutely. And like, so you went straight in. What was the first day like? Do you remember? It was hell because, <laughs> no, really, like it was so embarrassing because I was in with, like, say, the like junior infants, senior infants who would be beginners. And then my friends, who mm. were my age then, obviously, would have been like a little bit more advanced and they knew what they were doing. I didn't have a clue what anything was or anything. So I ended up having a seven-year-old teaching me my first dancing steps at the age of 11, which was grim, let me tell you. Oh. Um, but I persevered for some bizarre reason. I still don't know to this day why I kept going with it, but I really, really loved it. Yeah. Fantastic. And so like uh, the the idea of saying just turning up to class, uh, I presume there's a certain outlay that uh, your parents had to put down first in terms of outfits and shoes and things like that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the classes weren't too bad in terms of those kind of standards. I mean, you had to wear, obviously, the correct shoes, like the soft shoes, which can also be called mm. ghillies, pumps, light shoes. And then when you get a little bit more advanced, you wear the heavy shoes or hard shoes or treble shoes, they're called as well. Mm. But um, yeah, no, to begin with, it wasn't too bad. But then obviously, as I progressed in competitions and I started doing competitions, that's when the whole costume thing arose and everything mm. else and to begin with i just wore like a polo shirt and a skirt but then that wasn't good enough i started to do better in competition and everything else now you have to progress and in order to progress you have to kind of play the game mm. with the irish dancing community which means the wig and the dress so the wig and the dress and i'm glad you brought up the wig because you have as curly hair as i've ever seen i have in my stupidly life. curly hair yeah <laughs> i'd say if they made you wear a wig the wig would be less curly than your hair it, yeah, genuinely was. It was kind of, <laughs> it was Shirley Temple-esque ringlets and there were blonde ringlets too because there's a whole kerfuffle about me getting a wig to begin with because I didn't want one. My parents didn't really want me to wear one. Hmm. So my teacher brought me in a blonde wig that was secondhand, which was gross to begin with. Hey. But to be fair, it could have had nets for all we knew. <laughs> <laughs> like, to this day, I don't think it did. I'm hmm. pretty sure it didn't. But I do know somebody who had nets in their wig and had to burn it. So... That was a bit gross, but yeah. And rightly so. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, what would you... How would you just infect a wig? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, no, it was a grim, grim time. But, um, but yeah, no, like, the wig and the dress, yeah, no, it's just a bit of a stupid thing. Some people love it, and some people think that, you know, a dress without a wig looks stupid. And at one level, yes, it does, because mm -hmm. the dresses are so extravagant and so over the top. But the wigs themselves could cost up as far as 200 euro. And I mean, you know, you need to buy a new one every two years because it still has a wig exchange. Yeah. So now it's kind of like a Dolly Parton-esque wig where you have like more of a bun, like a beehive almost, mm -hmm. instead of like the natural ringlets or like natural in inverted commas, ringlets flowing everywhere. So. And do does the dress actually facilitate dancing in a way that I'd say there are some people who, who talk about certain certain sports activities have certain outfits that have evolved to actually make it more comfortable for the person to dance or to give a little bit of a swirl in certain dances but it does the irish dancing dress actually make irish dancing easier it definitely doesn't make it easier but it makes it easier to hide your mistakes oh. so i know the controversy here's this is where it begins oh <laughs> but basically those sleeves on an irish dancing dress are very very wide so it hides the fact that you're not holding your arms in <gasps> rigidly and the way it should be like really stiff upper body posture. Mm -hmm. So if you start like jerking your arms, which is very hard not to do in fairness when your legs are going 90 and like everything else, it um it gets hidden by the sleeves and the dress. And a lot of adjudicators really hate this. And they say that it takes away from it and that, you know, people have become world champions even though their posture is terrible. 
you know, and then the length of the skirts have gotten very, very short as well. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of controversy over that in terms of age groups and appropriateness and everything else. And the reason they've gotten very short is to facilitate kicking your legs and like everything else. Because they used mm-hmm. to be very, very long and heavy and almost knee length and it was impossible to do a leap or anything. So this is the thing that um, sometimes if it actually is convenient to have a have a and I, and I have a certain length or like this is I know something that came up in beach volleyball that they said well what the the outfit's no more explicit than a, what, what a swimmer wears and they're swimming is this your the, the problems in your head your purr is watching <laughs> stop oh I my know. god no but uh but that's obviously that's a different issue but I can imagine that yes it would be for you if you're doing kicks obviously you yeah, something like that the skirt length would be an issue yeah and they get really really warm as well the actual material there's so much material in a dancing dress like and there's cardboard and iron rods or not iron rods but like, there's rods in it yeah. to keep it stiff and pleated and everything else there's so much material that it gets insanely hot and people faint all the time because they're so warm from dancing and everything else and if you're nervous you're sweating and everything it's just you know then the town starts streaking and everything else and the town oh yeah so in addition to being made wear a wig did you get the get sprayed did your mother drag you down surprisingly no oh god no my mother would have dragged me away if anything but like <laughs> surprisingly no i never had to do the whole tan because i have very naturally solid skin i was very very blessed that way but people you know from ireland are often quite pasty quite mm-hmm. pale nothing wrong with that whatsoever it's gorgeous but for the irish dancing world it's not good enough apparently and a lot of people particularly girls have to do the whole spray tan which is ludicrous really when you think about it because when you have the dress and you have your knee-high white socks mm-hmm. which are called poodle socks or bubble socks funny enough yes you only see maybe like five inches of a leg you know and then your whole upper body is covered by a dress so you don't even see the tangerine emerging <laughs> like it's just it's so pointless and then the amount of makeup some girls wear as well is just it's beyond belief i mean to be fair you can't wear makeup until you're 13 i believe okay um, but, you know, beyond that, it just goes a bit crazy. Is that a recent development? It's not too recent. I think it was definitely there when I started dancing. And I was, well, that was 2007, I think. So it's not that recent, but it's not, you know, not recent either. Um, but then again, I mean, the counter argument to all of this is that people do this out of their own volition. And mm. some people really, really love it. And, you know, if a girl, say, gets a new dress every year and the dress is super expensive to begin with, I mean... A cheap first-hand dancing dress could be seven hundred euro, and then it would go up as far as about two thousand euro. And um, people got these dresses every year for the world championships and everything else. But the thing is that, like, you have people who really cherish the experience of getting a new dress and spending that amount of money on the dress, and they don't spend it on other things and whatever else. Mm-hmm. So, really, who are we to take away from that at one level? But then, mm-hmm. it, obviously, you know, the bigger issue is that it sets. A ridiculously high standard in terms of what other people can do and you know it's so it becomes very elitist at one level you know mm-hmm. the higher you go in competition the more difficult it is because it just gets more and more expensive basically i think so particularly when you're talking something that is being done that you have to start when you're a child and children famously grow get taller and taller each year mm-hmm. and <laughs> so, Shocker. yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing i'd be alarmed with but um it's funny when you say that the wigs the styles of the wigs change every few years but the styles of the dress maybe less so the styles of dress do change. I mean, the basic kind of the basic style doesn't really change in that your upper body is completely covered and you know you have a skirt. That's yeah. effectively it. But you can get different kinds of skirts. To say in 2011, a cupcake skirt was mm-hmm. the biggest kind of dancing style. That was a very rounded skirt. Whereas now it's you know kind of short skirts with pleats and whatever else. It does change, 
But um, the wigs, yeah, the wigs do change surprisingly. Like, I mean, nowadays, as I say, it's very much the Dolly Parton look. Yeah. And you have all your hair, like, piled up on your head. And then you have, like, a Irish dancing hairband, like, yeah. pushed all back. And it's all, like, quaffed and hairspray and everything else. Whereas back when I started, mm-hmm. it was much more about the ringlets and the kind of Shirley Temple look. So, yeah. you know, we model it all on old Hollywood people. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. It sounds like the, and this is the thing that the... The whole Irish dancing seems to tie up to a, a glory era right before Vatican II, mm. where it seems, yeah, like it's like, you don't go past Maureen O'Hara or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but like a lot of people do blame the Americans and the American mm. pageants and everything else for bringing this in. And while it, there's definitely a tie, obviously, mm. between the pair of them, it, like people, you know, forget that river dance is definitely as much to blame because, I mean, they all wear mm. costumes. They have. I think Jean Butler in the very first performance of Riverdance at Eurovision, 1994, she had ringlets. Whether they were natural or not, I, I think, don't no, know. I think her ringlets were natural and mm. that she actually remembered that she went for a cold shoulder like before cold shoulders were in. Yeah. <laughs> and but interestingly enough, both Michael Fatley and Jean Butler were born, were out from the Irish-American community. They were both born over there and uh, they have different degrees of ties to Ireland. But um, Riverdance, obviously, is something we can't get past because... For young people who never remember what it was like before Riverdance, how um how little art confidence Ireland had in itself. And if you think of, say, in the earlier 90s and in the 80s as well, so much of Irish pop culture was trying to dilute or distract from its traditional Irishness. Pop stars with Irish names would change their names or they'd often, whenever a new band would come along, it's like, oh, they're, this isn't all just fiddles and, you know, and, and fiddles and this and that and when Riverdance came along, and I think we were, we were speaking about this before the show, if that year the UK or France had been hosting the Eurovision, if they if France had decided to put a a Breton dance, a Bre- or sorry, a Breton dance, mm-hmm. or if the UK had decided to put a a Highland jig, mm-hmm. the subtext wouldn't have been there. People would have thought, oh, that's very good, or it isn't good, or it's naff, or it isn't naff. But the subtext is saying we're taking something so Irish, something that's been so discarded, and we're making it cool, we're making it sexy, we're making it fun. But also dignified, not ridiculing it, and and there's no, there's never been an interval act like it, and there probably never will be. And the reaction to it and uh, was absolutely massive. It completely overshadowed Rock and Roll Kids, which was <laughs> the third win in the row that year. And it happened just at a moment when Ireland was completely seeing seeing itself differently. The, there was a ceasefire in the north. There was three Eurovision wins in a row. The economy is beginning to pick up. There was um, Irish bands in the charts all over the world. The Cranberries and, the, and you two. And then suddenly this happened and we weren't, and while there have been successful pop culture in the past 10 years since since Live Aid, this is the first time that actually that traditionally Irish elements are being incorporated into it. And Riverdance famously is the English title and in the lyrics of the song, Riverdance isn't mentioned. What is mentioned is the Irish title, which is Ishkubaha. Oh, intriguing. Ishkubaha is also whiskey, fun fact. Certainly is. <laughs> if they had translated it as whiskey. <laughs> it wouldn't have been. We're doing a dance called Whiskey, so I can see why they said yes. The water of life is very much what it was all about. Yes. I think Matt Flatley's dance represented the land and and um, Jean Butler's character was the river woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Intriguing think, stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I happen to know an awful lot of river dance. My, every, um, whenever I'm preparing my daughter's dinner, um, those few minutes when I'm getting the food together and and parents of young children know what this is like when a, a small child is waiting for their dinner. They can get very upset <laughs> very quickly. And you, if you find something they like watching, you show it to them. And I saw show her that eight, the eight minutes and fourteen second video <laughs> of Riverdance, and she watched it. And she's sitting in her high chair and she's moving her little legs. 
You've precisely eight minutes and 14 seconds to cook dinner, otherwise it's end game over. <laughs> eight minutes and 14 seconds to get it all together, and <laughs> it works. Ladies and gentlemen, River Dance. Flatley and Jean Butler did bring a certain amount of American razzmatazz to Irish dancing, mm-hmm. uh, including, mm-hmm. God forbid, arm <laughs> movement. Jesus, yeah. What is the deal with the arm movement? I've heard four or five different theories, most of which are clearly bollocks. <laughs> and one of which is that the, when Irish dance, when the Queen Elizabeth commanded um, some Irish women to do Irish dancing for her when she's arriving on the shore, they refused to salute her. And that's I've why never the, heard that, I have to say. you never heard it because it's bollocks. <laughs> I, was like, I wasn't raised with such stupidness. <laughs> no, I, I, I'd heard that theory several times, but then I thought, well, does anyone know this? And why, why would they continue to keep their arms down? <laughs> Seems like there's a lot of effort to go to. Yes. I honestly, like, I don't know. I wish I did know. But I do know that with Shandos dancing, it's a lot looser and it's a lot more free-flowing. And some people really prefer that. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't. Because I've been so used to Irish dancing, I think it's such an art form and a craft to be able to keep your hands still while your legs are flying all over yeah. the place. Um, and Sean knows I'm going to get hate for saying this, but I mean, it does require less skill, in my opinion. You know, it does. It really, really does. Because you can just, I don't know. Like, it is fantastic in that it's so free-flowing, it's so open and accessible to, you know, whatever kind of ability you have or whatever else and whatever you want to do. But with Irish dancing, it is so unique in that it's so difficult to keep your arms still and everything else and it's so kind of it brings together so many different forms of dancing you know Irish step dancing that is it brings together so many different forms of dancing like tap dancing and ballet and they say that tap dancing really came from Irish dancing and not the other way around Hmm. um and then obviously ballet comes into Irish dancing a lot there are certain ballet moves that have been adopted into Irish dancing very much so so I think really like Shana's dancing is fantastic you know but it's definitely a little bit less impressive Possibly. Perhaps. Do you think, <laughs> would you say that the restrictions in set dancing, that, like iambic pentameter, create a, a field for creativity? That's a good question. I've never thought about that deeply before. It's like sometimes, like in a complete blank phrase, it's the same way a lot of people would say that free verse can never re- reach the heights of like um, of a sonnet or an Alexandrine or mm. those other poems that have very strict meters. Yeah, like necessity breeds invention, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good point. I think it definitely does because, like, say, with a hard cheat dancer, a treble dance, that's one with, like that makes all the noise and everything else, like it's like tap dancing. If you have a jig that you need to dance to, like it's a treble jig or something, and you have a certain time signature, and even better if it's a set dance, so say you can have various different set dances, like the Vanishing Lake, say for instance, yeah. is um, a set dance that you do in competition at a certain level. If you need to form a dance to that, and you only have a certain kind of music and a certain... Um, time signature it does require like really extremely good levels of rhythm and really creative use of rhythm Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of form a dance that looks good and like suits the music and kind of you know embodies the music as well yeah whereas with john knows it's anything goes kind of i mean i'm going to get hate i know somebody is going to have seen (laughs) something at like a rock to society and be like (laughs) it really like if you've never done Mm -hmm. irish step dancing like you don't know an acquaintance of mine was giving out about jazz music and said, how do you know if you're playing it wrong 
it's so true though like even with Shannon, like i'm like we no, we should stop talking about shannon's now because i could go on a whole rant about it but okay well but we, we might return to that rant because mm. it's um <laughs> i'm always interested what what i always what finds what i always find interesting is when there's um when there's kind of creative groups they tend to groups of people involved in creative projects you go off and find you do you tend to coalesce in the same kinds of groups you get the purists you get the kind of anything goes people you get the snobs you get the kind of the um the um like extremists and then you get the people who just want to know enough and then they've got the kind of the um the marketing noose or the other kind of showman general showmanship which they can take anywhere but i suppose what really interests me about, and we were talking about this earlier the Irish dancing, there's going to be a lot of our listeners will have done Irish dancing to some level. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, there is a kind of a community to it. And where there's a community, there's different attitudes to it. Some people will probably have similar feelings to Irish dancing that other people have to Irish, the Irish language. Mm, that is very true. And I suppose like Irish dancing is kind of that thing that you do after school because you have to, or like this weird teacher comes in when you're in junior infants and teaches you your one, two, threes and you don't yeah. do anything ever again. And probably everybody in the country knows the walls of Limerick or the Siege of Venice, and they see Irish dancing as that, and that's there's nothing more to it. Mm-hmm. This was the other thing, one of the other theories that why people keep their hands perfectly still next to their waist was that they, the church, and this is the, th- the great theory in Ireland, is when you can't explain something, you either blame the English or you blame the church. <laughs> in this case, blaming the English was the Elizabeth I theory. The other theory is that the the clergy did not want people holding hands when they were dancing. The, they did not want youths holding hands. But you hold hands during the Walls of Limerick, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And all Cody dancing, all set dancing and stuff, you hold hands. And the team dancing too, in competition you hold hands. So no, not that loophole as well, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Good stuff. We all come to a theory. But then, as you said there, so the Irish dancing, is there a kind of black swan situation happen much? Is there massive competitiveness and... And, and pushy parents definitely to an extent i wouldn't say it's extreme as black swan i don't know maybe it is for all <laughs> i know there has been i don't know but like there is definitely an element of pushiness and rivalry between schools and bias and adjudicators and everything else and it can all get a bit much sometimes you know people treat their fashion now a fashion is an irish dancing competition actually they treat it very very seriously and um, there is definitely an element of pushiness. And, you know, you do definitely see parents who want their, ch- their child to win more than the child wants to win themselves and mm-hmm. everything else. Um, and obviously the rivalry between schools can be ridiculous sometimes. And um, yeah, no, and it's interesting because there are several different kind of regulatory bodies within Irish dancing. So the very first one was Uncommission, which is the commission. Okay. But then a group broke away from commission in the 1970s and they call themselves on COGOL, which means the congress because there's a big rift between the pair of them and now there are something like five i think it's like commission congress common ring kanashunta common ring devasa wida the world irish association like there's several different regulatory bodies but commission is the one that is the most widespread among diaspora i suppose in the united states and in australia and worldwide um so there's always tension you know there's always mm-hmm. definitely an underlying tension with Irish dancing and in the community itself, definitely. Gotcha. It's bad enough with us, was with rugby league and rugby union, and have to <laughs> have to worry about too. But that's uh, that's that shows a real leadership issue if it's fragmented that much. Oh God, yeah. And I mean, even with say, I danced for Uncogal, the Congress, mm. and um, there's even kind of shouldn't really be saying this, but there's uh-huh. you know talk at like a higher level of people not wanting people to pass the teaching exams because it's so oversaturated that 
the older dancing schools want all the new blood, basically. They want all the new people coming in them, coming into them, and not going to new dancing schools and taking away their business. So um, yeah, Ooh. no, it's constantly it, like, and the older dancing schools definitely prevail in competitions, and they always seem to do that a little bit better. Mm. But um, that's not to say though that, like, I mean, you know, it's not like ballet. I wouldn't say, for instance, in that. There's no kind of, you know, one great school that you can go to and you will win everything and become yeah. a professional dancer. You can easily be a fantastic dancer and be in a tiny school that has no kind of, you know, big name to it or anything hmm. and become a world champion. There's nothing stopping you from doing that, really, you okay. know. Um, but there is definitely bias in the sense that, say, I've seen adjudicators mark people down when they see them wearing a certain dress from a certain school. But then if they're wearing their solo dress, which is the big glitzy thing that you see, Ooh. they will give them first place because they don't know they're from a particular school. So it's very obvious that they're very, very biased. And it's not the way it should be at all, but it is that way, unfortunately. You know, there's a mathematics or statistics student listening to the show right now who's thinking of a thesis topic. <laughs> and I'd say if you actually compare the scores of Irish dancers in different dresses like that, that might be an interesting statistical That would be intriguing. Yeah. There was actually somebody in the Young Scientist exhibition, which is a thing that happens in Ireland every year, and they um, did a study on what colour dancing dress will get you the most amount of awards. Ooh. And apparently red is the best colour because it gains the most attention from a judge. Really? So, yeah, fun fact for you there. And out. any parents out there wanting their child to <laughs> win that for his place. Because, yeah, that's an alarming thought. <laughs> when it comes to things. So, I mean, you obviously started off when you were 11. You, you did your Hainto tree. Mm-hmm. And then you did some of, some of your other steps. What are the other steps that people will, will know? And then when, and then gradually, get as, as they get harder, it starts with something easy. Then what are the next kind of steps you'd learn? The next kind of steps you learn after your Hainto threes with your one, two, threes are things like skips and leaps and jump backs. And then it goes further and further until you get to like heavy shoes. And then you'd learn things like trebles. Or they're also called rallies sometimes. Um, and clicks. Clicks are the absolute worst. When you have to like, click your heels in the air. I was always terrible at them. Um, but it goes on and on and on. And then you have some like really weird specific steps. Like double clicks or stamps or everything else. You know. Or triple clicks. Triple clicks. It's possible. I've seen somebody do five clicks at one time. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's on YouTube. I think it is on YouTube. I'll try and link it on my own Twitter at some stage. But yeah. No, I've mm. seen five clicks. It's very impressive. <laughs> But um, even then, yeah, like, I mean, it's interesting how sometimes you see movements from other types of dancing coming into hard shoes when they would be done in soft shoes in different types of dancing. So say you mm-hmm. see some kind of like, say, ballet moves in hard shoes, which is absurd because I'm not sure if anybody like has ever seen ballet. I'm sure somebody listening has. Yeah. But like the kind of movements that you do just with your feet, like a little butterfly jump, like a kind of a scissor thing. You'd yeah. see that in hard shoes. And it is so hard to do in hard shoes because they're really, really heavy and everything else. And it, some of it makes no sense. But um, yeah, the movements do definitely get more difficult as you go on. But you don't really notice it because you're practicing. Or at least you should be practicing the whole time. Um, and it's much more about perfecting movements than it is about doing a hard movement, doing it badly. Yeah. You know. Which I guess could be said for everything, in fairness. It's better to do something simple and do it well than to do a really hard thing properly. At the other end of the scale, at the really hard end of the scale, when people like, like you are getting really, really good at it, and your pals are really good at it, and you're hanging out with other Irish dancers, and you're entering, considering competitions, and you're seeing people like this five-click gal, a guy <laughs> or a gal? Either, actually. I would say more prevalently a guy. 
to because you have at the five click stage yeah <laughs> but the so then when you're at this getting this very high level when you're actually maybe good enough to teach so well what is like the uh what is the tango de la morte of irish dancing what was the <laughs> thing that's seen as the hardest move or procedure or dance to do or that's what's what's that thing that maybe is, is seen as like the tokyo drift the really really hard <laughs> thing to do there are several different things. I would say the double or the triple click or the five click is very, very difficult. Or you can do a switch leap, which is when you leap in the air and then you do a click at the same time. It sounds ridiculous, but it does happen. Um, and there are multiple, like, different schools invent their own moves too. So you see people doing moonwalks and everything on stage and it's, yeah. So the moonwalk, uh, yeah, the moonwalk, maybe the moonwalk is the most difficult. Because, <laughs> I mean, it is the most difficult out of all the dances. Mm. But, yeah. So I'm just trying to think of Moonwalk and Irish Shona Galley. Yeah, that could work actually. Yeah. Shona Galley, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Alan We are two of the three co hosts of a podcast called Juvenalia. Our third co host, Sarah Marie Griffin, is not here. Juvenalia is a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a piece of pop culture that they were obsessed with when they were a child. So if you want to hear Sarah from Tegan and Sarah talking about Madonna's future there's work. Or hear about Maria Joel Kennedy and why her favourite film is The Wizard of Oz. Or hear Caroline O'Donoghue talking about Frasier. And subscribe to us on any podcast app you might be listening to right now. Okay, that's See the ad. Then. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Because I was just watching I, Tonya recently. And oh, I, I love I, Tonya. It's brilliant. It's absolutely like an outstanding. Go uh, see it if you haven't. Margot Robbie is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. the fact that she's a producer now and she's deliberately finding scripts of these strong female characters like these stories and particularly the kind of pressure she's under and the, and the fact so much of it is they kept so close to the facts as well. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, did you relate to any of that? I actually did, yeah, because there's <laughs> even there is even a scene in it where they have Tanya's actual mother, I think, talking about the um the whole standard of presentation and competitions. And mm-hmm. her mother absolutely hated the dresses they had to wear in the ice skating. Yeah. And her exact words, I think, were something like, if everybody just wore a plain black dress, it would all be so much better. There wouldn't be any of this ridiculous, you know, competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Because as far as I can remember, she made their own dresses, I think. Yeah. You know, they came from a very poor background and everything. And she would sew until all hours of the morning trying to make costumes and everything else. So that's very, very, very similar to Irish dance. And there's definitely that movement of people who would much prefer just a very basic standard of almost like basic hygiene. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of as long as your socks and your dress are clean, your hair is scraped back and it's neat. That should be the main thing, and the dancing is what should be judged. But there's obviously the whole presentation thing, and it's really deeply ingrained now. So, and this is something particularly that seems to mostly affect female-driven uh, events, like that, like like ice skating. You don't like if lads are lining up to to do their trials for Liverpool or Man United, <laughs> they don't have to worry about what kind of shorts to wear. This is exactly it. I mean, like to be fair with Irish dancing, the guys do have to wear their jazzy waistcoats and their, you know, some of them do wear makeup, I think, on stage. But it is nothing to the extent of what girls have to go through. Do the lads you're dancing with have to wear wigs? They do not. They do not. Unless they choose to. I mean, do they, do they get the spray tan? <laughs> like some of them do. Some mm. of them do. I mean, I don't know anybody from my dance school personally who ever did that. But uh, some of them do if they really want to. And some of them, you know, go overboard and everything else. And they put, you know, nine million sequins on their waistcoat and their trousers and God knows what. And if a boy wants to wear a dress and a wig, would he be let? That's a good question. That is a good question. It's very relevant these days too. I'm mm. honestly, I think if he did, it would be taken as a joke to begin with. But then, you know, it's really hard to know. I, I Like, I don't think so, mm. really. I think you'd be laughed out of it to begin with. Well, if there is a little boy listening to the show who like, does want to wear a dress and a wig and do the Irish dancing, just know that we are absolutely on your side. And we oh, of course. You. Absolutely. Mm. 
absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's been changed now, but up until very recently, Cloda, this might interest some of our more business-minded listeners. Oh, ho. The VAT rate on Irish dancing lessons was 23%. And the VAT rate on, on lap dance performances was, nine, <laughs> was 9%. And ballet was 0%. That is absurd, though. I think the ballet one in comparison to the Irish dancing is mm. absolutely absurd. And it just goes to show like how ballet is seen as a really kind of aristocratic, privileged, elitist thing to do, whereas Irish dancing is almost like a peasant thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, which historically speaking is kind of how it was because, I mean, ballet was owned by aristocrats and dignitaries and everything else, and it was funded by, mm-hmm. you know, very wealthy people. Whereas with Irish dancing, the whole story goes that there were like dance masters that would go around little villages here and there and teach them dancing steps and, you know, mm. the Kaylee dance and stuff. But it was never seen as a very elite thing to do in Ireland. It's still not, I wouldn't say. You know, it's still very much that thing mm. that you do after school if you have to. I think this is the thing. Obviously, people do do ballet after school. And, and this is for the actual lessons themselves. And it has changed now. That now dance lessons are all charged at 23% for tax, for tax purposes, assuming the school is on the threshold but mm-hmm. in terms of as a part of, of our Irish heritage the thing is that ballet is seen you have ballet you have composers who are associated with ballet you have um, the Bolshoi mm-hmm. in Moscow and you have the uh, you know the various the New York ballet and, mm-hmm. the, and the London ballet whereas we isn't it odd that we don't have a global centre of Irish dancing somewhere in Ireland it is of the Bolshoi of Irish dancing it is very very strange and I mean I suppose at one level it makes some kind of sense at a really practical level because when you think of, say, Russia and the size of Russia, mm. if a young girl or a young boy wants to become a ballerina or a principal dancer in a company, they need to do really, really intense training, but they might have to travel six hours to do that training. So they go and live in a boarding school and mm. they're taught there and it creates this really kind of prestigious element to it. Whereas with Irish dancing, you can find an Irish dancing school anywhere in Ireland and it's just... It, never had that same level of intensity mm. that ballet had. And I suppose, too, with them, with ballet, it's seen as a very prestigious thing to do, even in comparison to Irish dancing, I would mm. say. You know, people, as you say, they would associate composers, whatever else, with ballet much more so than Irish dancing. Um, but it is definitely strange, and it's strange that there's no kind of... There's no... The pinnacle of an Irish dancing career is not the same as the pinnacle of a ballet career. So yeah. the ballet career... Your main goal will probably, I imagine, be to be a principal dancer yeah. in a company. Whereas with Irish dancing, it might be to have your own dancing school or it might be to become an adjudicator or, you know, dance in a show. But really, dancing in a show is not often the main aim of somebody who goes that, into Irish dancing. You that's know what extraordinary. I mean? And I was just thinking, like, we, what is the Irish Swan Lake or the Irish Nutcracker? And then I got to thinking, as well as the, those other great, great performances that I thought, like... Um, we have such a phenomenal tradition of drama mm-hmm. in Ireland, of, of some outstanding playwrights. And we have a great tradition of dancing. And obviously there's, we have musical traditions too, but we have no tradition of musical theatre or actual musical shows of that nature. And even when something like Riverdance came along, there was no real precedent for an Irish dancing show that would be kind of uh, evening length, kind of show length, feature length. The And they probably did look at ballet models to say, well, let's through this loose storyline and musical theatre shows that they they kind of had to come up with some way, but there was no kind of traditional way of saying this is how an entire evening of spectacle goes. And possibly one of the reasons for this is was your, when you go into to see Irish dancing, you went to participate in it, mm. not to watch it. That's a very good point. That's definitely a very good point. 
And as well, again, historically speaking, in ballet, the a lot of the ballet kind of themes were funded and they were all, you know, designed to be based on literature and stuff. So yeah. they deliberately made ballets based on Don Quixote or Swan Lake or, you know, Giselle or there's mm-hmm. loads of different ones. But Irish dancing, that just doesn't exist at all. We have river dance and we have the Michael Flatley shows like Feet of Flames and whatever else. Lord of the Dance. Lord of the Dance, yes. And mm-hmm. there's several others fusion fighters i think is another one i'm not too mm. sure there's several others anyway he had a show called celtic tiger and mm. there was a um i remember there was a review of it because this was it was in broadway and and i, I remember this at the time because it started off he had some um i think four or five girls walk out in an Lingus outfits and then they they did a striptease and they were wearing america Amer- stars and stripes bikinis good lord michael <laughs> What is then, he on? This is the thing, and obviously his um his shows being compared to hit the how River Dance continued after he left, mm. and Gene Butler's very maybe esoteric is too strong a word, but very kind of scholarly approach to dance afterwards. Yeah. And her, I think she made dance shows for people who were really, really interested in dance and knew the difference between steps and realized if a dancer did something in a particular way that it was different from what they expected, and that that the audience were expected to have a literacy of dance to get those things, whereas. His shows, like, very, like, they, he seemed to deliberately invoke Michael Jackson with some of his uh, with some <laughs> of his moves. And the dancers, the female dancers were obviously told to basically look at him in a very flirtatious or lascivious mm. way. <laughs> Which is really, like, yeah, no, I completely agree that, like, Gene Butler kind of approached dancing as a craft and portrayed it that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Michael Flatley approached it as a performance piece. And, you know, while the craft comes into play in the performance piece... Yeah, they have to get the views like you know mm-hmm. what I mean <laughs> it's the same thing I suppose yeah I mean we all have ruined opinions on like Michael Foley's shows and everything but it's definitely it lacks the same kind of class that you would see with certain other forms of dancing maybe and mm-hmm. the Gene Butler approach you know I mean the Aer Lingus stewardesses don't really compare to Swan Lake I wouldn't <laughs> say I suppose he was basically telling a story of kind of, of Ireland from um, from emigration to America and it was it's largely, largely a story about Irish America more than Arnold itself and its vision. When we ever hear him speak, he's very obsessed with this whole, you know, we got up at zero o'clock in the morning and we did this. And we, mm. we, 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 we cut all this turf before school and we then we walked in and we were always told about manners and he's obsessed with this. He would always tell a story how his, his least favorite word in English is pastime because he doesn't have enough time to do all the things he wants to do. Oh my God, Veracro <clears throat> would love us. Possibly, but... <laughs> the early morning risers. And to touch the, uh, to touch back to the... um. The tax issue, one of the things, one of the reasons, like, because it took Michael Fatley a while before for Riverdance to happen, he'd been burnt in his career. He and, had, yes, he had. And that probably was one of the reasons he's so commercially minded. And it's sometimes, like, I recently seen some kind of comments on, on some other uh, some other Irish writers who I'm very fond of. Um, people be saying, oh, such and such is only in it for the money or such and such is, you know, whipping out books very quickly. And the thing is, when you've... Um, when you've been burnt, when you've been really badly ripped off, and most people in creative fields, they don't understand how lots of things, lots of part of the procedure work, and you have to trust people who know the business side much more than you. And when that doesn't go well for you, you, you just you make sure you never get ripped off again. And mm-hmm. that's why sometimes people can seem very commercially minded when, frankly, they are. So many artists have been stiffed by the tax authorities in various countries, and there's a reason so many of them are tax exiles, possibly for that, but most famously Tina Turner obviously uh, who <laughs> when you lose all your money as she did because Ike Turner held everything 
when you make money again, you absolutely do move to Zurich. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, exactly. Can you really blame them for being that way? You know, mm-hmm. like it's self-protection above anything. I think so. And Michael Fatley does his action with, with other things he's doing is with his money is he's collecting these, a lot of these rare editions of Ulysses, including the ones that were illustrated by Matisse, Henri Matisse. There's only like 34 of those in existence. Hmm. And he owns most of them. Oh my God. Yeah. He should make a show based on Ulysses or something. That'd be a filthy show. That would be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be literature based. It would compete with the ballet. It probably could. So yeah, um, obviously, Claude, you, uh, when you're doing all of this Irish dancing, you're trying to do all these elaborate steps. You must have at some point injured yourself. A lot of Irish dancers get fierce injuries. Oh yeah. I mean, thankfully, I never injured myself severely. I had like very, you know, mild sprains or kind of weird things on my foot every now and again. But yeah, no, some of the injuries that you can see are quite gruesome. And I mean, I've seen people, not in person, but I mean, I've seen people like fall off stages before and leap off stages or vomit on stage sometimes, faint on stage, dry heaving, because it's it's a very pressurized environment, to be fair. Um, But yeah, the injury side of it can be extreme. And the thing with Irish dancing, too, is that like with soft shoes, you're meant to wear them two sizes too small because the leather stretches over time. Oh. But if you go to a chiropodist... And you say, yes, I've been wearing shoes that are two sizes too small for me. And they will look at you as if to say, well, then why the hell do you think that? Like, how are you not going to be injured? But it's not, they don't get it. Like, you have to be very careful with who you go to for treatment for these things. Because, I mean, ideally you should go to, you know, like a dance specialist or something mm-hmm. who understands, you know, how Irish dancing or whatever form of dancing it is works for your injuries. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's a very specific kind of injury that you can get with Irish dancing, I would say, because it is sort of specific kind of dancing, mm-hmm. you know. I'd say so. And I mean, uh, I presume these things never happen at the right time. Yeah, no, like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I remember like the one time that I did kind of get injured was at a competition and oh. it was, yeah, no, like it wasn't good. But then thankfully, like very serendipitously, that competition ended up being cancelled for the rest of the day because of the snow, because it was 2010, it was a big freeze. <gasps> So I was very lucky and mm. I was able to, you know, go and see a chiropodist and everything else. And she looked at me like I had two heads and everything, but it was fine in the end. But yeah, no, you definitely hear people having to pull out because of injury. Um, I can think of one very significant Irish aunt, her name was Brogan McKay. Um, she was in that film Jig from oh. 2010. She was, she's a world champion, but she had to pull out because of injury and she can never dance again. So you do, I mean, and it can be something very seemingly straightforward, like a broken foot, but it can be broken in a very bad way or something, mm. you know, and it can really cause damage so you have to be very very careful you do have to be very careful buy decent shoes and don't buy the crappy shoes that are cheap because mm. you can get very cheap shoes in a crop so well you know they say that you should spend your money in shoes and a mattress because <laughs> you're gonna when you're not in one you're in the other That's a, i've never ever heard that before but i'm definitely like writing that down for my wall <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the boy girl ratio and your dancing well in my school <laughs> in my school it was very bad it was like four boys to like every like 15 girls like it was just hmm. That's very specific. It wasn't like that. But I mean, it was like there's a very low number of boys in comparison to girls. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, obviously, any kind of dancing is associated with the female end of things. Um, and I suppose with Irish dancing, you know, it is seen as somewhat a girly thing to do at times, I suppose. But when the boys do it, they do fantastically, you know. Yeah. And um, it's a very, like, it's a very masculine thing to do. Like, I mean, it requires so much strength and determination and energy and, like, physical everything you know i've definitely seen dancers who were as strong as ga players or football players and everything mm-hmm. else you know 
but and um, they won't i think like, particularly when if, if uh, i know a lot of like young boys will get slagged by their mates if they're off irish dancing and, and they'll interpret it as being you know i'm not getting picked for a football team or things like that but you know, you may not get picked for the county but you will be at a wedding sometime and, that, and, <laughs> and a piece of music will come on and you'll impress a lot of people if you know how to dance and it's something that and obviously, when we when when we went clubbing, there was no actual dance steps or things like that. People just moved around, and some people had coordination, some people didn't. But the idea that if something has steps and moves, and and you can and you learn to carry yourself with a certain way, and you can often tell a dancer just from the way they walk into the room. Like when you walk around, you can tell straight away you're a dancer just from your posture. Oh, shucks. And like <laughs> it's um, I would have I would have loved when I was an awkward teenager at discos to know that there were steps <laughs> to follow. Like if you learnt them, you'd be all right. I honestly, though, I mean, you wouldn't have wanted to pull out the walls of Limerick at the club. Like, <laughs> you <trying>. wouldn't. <laughs> I Although, would not recommend. I mean, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Depends on the club. Well, yeah, it's uh, obviously that's uh, that's that's a <laughs> different thing. <laughs> but it's uh, I think it's definitely when you at our weddings and things now when you do see the fellows who actually did do Irish dancing and it does impress people. In fact, or any kind of dancing, really, it's uh, it's something I think well, young men and boys and young men should be told to do some form of dance because they they certainly won't regret it. Absolutely, and yeah. they're more likely to use it than work out the surface area of a of a, of a sphere or, <laughs> or, or what's it, what a cone surface area of a cone. Oh that's Jesus, no! I haven't heard that in four years. Never <laughs> want to hear it again. No one does. <laughs> so, and before we finish up, Dausa or Rinka? Oh. It's a funny one. They use Rinka a lot in competition and stuff. So Rinka Furnia is a team dance or, mm-hmm. you know, Kaylee dance or whatever else. But then Dauso, I suppose, you know, I would say dancing as a noun Rinka, but then, you know, mm-hmm. for sure, yeah. But then Dauso would be more of an action, I would think, like egg Dauso. But either, either work, you know, they're both lovely. When I was in, in the Gelduct in Galway, it was, um, it was Dauso and when I went to Kerry, it was Rinka. Intriguing, yeah. That's just uh, maybe just the, the the actual schools I was at. Yeah, I wonder if Rinka is older than Dyson. I have a feeling. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it I think isn't. Rinka is one of those things like like Shenum. It's you can imagine mm. the person's face and they're doing it. Rinka, <laughs> Rinka using hey, hey, dancing away. And whenever I think of like Shenum, I always imagine someone's drumming a guitar with a kind of old look <laughs> in their face. But yeah. Mm. Anywho, so on that note, I think we've all been illuminated. We'll look forward very much to seeing Blackbird. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yes, we'll <laughs> we have to do another episode just on that. But I think we will. <laughs> in the meantime, it's a slon from me. And a slon from me. We'll catch you next time. Hi, it's Clouder from today's show. Thank you very, very much for listening. You can find the Mother Folklore podcast every Friday from the Headstuff Network. You can rate us on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. Thank you very much to Kirsten for the artwork for today's show. And thank you very much to Brian for producing. If you're interested in looking for another podcast, you should give a listen to Up to 90. It is another Headstuff show about the 1990s. Definitely worth a listen. If you would like to contact the show, you can contact us at motherfolklore at headstuff.org. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. That's fantastic.